Good evening and welcome to the NFL Draft. Tonight, we officially welcome the next generation of players. So if you're ready, are you ready? Let's get it started. The NFL Draft is officially open. Welcome inside the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. I am Trevor Sycamore. With me is Benjamin Solak on a beautiful Monday morning edition of the podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Built Bar, the protein bars that taste like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKEDON, all caps, no spaces, LOCKEDON, and you will get 20% off your next order. They're fantastic to throw in your diet wherever you want to eat them. If you want to start your day off with a Built Bar protein bar, that's a great place to start, just like you are starting your day off with this podcast. So you're making a good decision there too. Ben, a lot of action from the NFL over the weekend. We can say that every week, but I feel like it was it, it was some very uh some very puzzling results that need digging into this weekend. How are you though, my friend? Yeah, no, that week that one at PM slate had me in dire panic. Right. Right. <laughs> and you are you are not somebody that deals with, you know, random things as well as other people could. Oh yeah, is that right? I feel like yeah. If this stuff goes off script, you're a little bit like sweaty on on what happens. It depends on how much money I have invested, which in this case was a fair bit. <laughs> but yeah, no, you had Cincinnati handle Tennessee. You had obviously Miami jump out to the big lead and then control the big lead against Los Angeles. You had Minnesota just dominate Green Bay in the trenches for four quarters. I mean, it was just like. Yeah. Listen, what is going on with football right now? And then, of course, obviously, we got... That's the worst thing about when your team plays in primetime is everything goes wrong in the games beforehand, and you're like, well, <laughs> this is going to stay the same. That's right, pretty much it. right. Also, the Cowboys really bad, so it's fine. Um, yeah, I mean, it was an extremely weird week, extremely weird Sunday in NFL football. It Tampa was. Giants tonight, nothing can go wrong. Nothing, absolutely nothing can go wrong. Let's recap the games and the final scores before we dig into some of these topics. Steelers remain unbeaten on the season. They take down the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens now 5-2, and two, Steelers 7-0. and oh. uh, Pittsburgh wins that game 28-24. New England. Now two and five. Bills now two and six after the Bills beat them by a field goal, twenty-four to twenty-one. Tennessee Titans fell to the Cincinnati Bengals. How about that? Bengals beat them thirty-one to twenty. Raiders and Browns, a wacky game that you almost have to throw out due to the weather conditions. They win that one over Cleveland, sixteen to six. Indianapolis Colts beat the Lions forty-one to twenty-one. Ben mentioned it with the Vikings there. Big upset in Lambeau Field, twenty-eight to twenty-two over the Green Bay Packers. Packers. Losers of two games in a row because of that loss they had to the Buccaneers as well. Uh, New York Jets, they did not cover the 19.5 point spread because they lost 35-9 to to the Kansas City Chiefs. So uh, I won that game in, in the pick'em, and I didn't think that I was going to, but here we are. The Jets are uh, 0-8 and absolutely terrible. Los Angeles Rams, Miami Dolphins. This is Tua Tungavailoa's first start. Didn't really need them. The Dolphins' defense stepped up in a huge way with a lot of turnovers uh, and even some points of their own. They win that one 28-17. Los Angeles Chargers, Denver Broncos. I want to sit here and give the Denver Broncos all the credit in the world for for an incredible comeback that was truly last second in its its, uh, most true form. But I'm just sitting here thinking about how this is yet another game 
the Chargers blow. Another double-digit lead the Chargers blew. 31-30 to is how this one ended in favor of the Denver Broncos. Saints come out on top over the Chicago Bears in a game that was closer than I thought it was going to be, 26-23. to Seattle Seahawks 37, San Francisco 49ers 27, so the Seahawks get that big divisional win. And then, as Ben said, Eagles came out on top on Sunday Night Football over Gucci Danucci's Dallas Cowboys by a score of 23-9. to Ben, where do you want to start today when uh, re- recapping all these games? Miami's win over the Rams. Uh, the My big story of the week, not top story, my headliners is Brian Flores. Five and four to finish the season last year. We said the Dolphins are winning too many games, playing themselves out of the Burrow pick. They get the Tua pick, go three and three this year, insert Tua for Ryan Fitzpatrick, despite the fact they're playing pretty well. Win the game against the Rams, not because of Tua, because of that defense. Right now, the Dolphins are the number one scoring defense in the league. They're only 20th coming into the week in DVOA. So there's probably, they're probably not as good as they look on the score sheet, but they're not giving up points. And that, at the end of the day, that's how you win football games. They are four and three, which puts now Brian Flores across his last 16 games at nine and seven. It's awesome. 16 games. With that 16 Miami games team? Is a full season. Man. Yeah. 16 games is a full season, Trevor. Nine and seven. And that's where, where, where the Dolphins find themselves right now is in the thick of the AFC wildcard hunt uh, with the Bills, Chiefs, Steelers all in control of their division. You're looking at the Raiders at four and three, the Ravens at five and two, the Browns at five and three, and then the Colts, Titans, figuring out that AFC South, who are all currently at four and two. Those are your wildcard competitors. The Dolphins are a half game back, whole game back. That's it. And the, the the Dolphins' upcoming schedule isn't the easiest thing you ever saw on the face of the planet. I actually haven't looked uh, up their their future schedule. Right, so they've got Cardinals, then okay. Chargers, Broncos, Jets, which is great, and then Bengals, Chiefs, Patriots, Raiders, Bills. Oh, so, yes, they did. Yeah, no, I was looking over this yeah. with the two stuff. Never mind. I was like, I was like, wait, right. why can't I think of this in my head? Monday morning. So morning I think I think eight and eight, nine and seven is completely feasible. I would agree. And, yeah, and a lot of that goes back to what you're going to get from Tua on offense. Because, and, and people were like, oh my gosh, the, the, the Rams have 500 yards and the Dolphins only have 90 yards, yet they're winning. Yeah, well, that's what happens if you get turnovers that immediately become touchdowns. The offense doesn't get to play the whole the football. Like that, like, you know, it's not like they're having three and outs with no yards. It's that they have a pick six and they have a scoop and scores. So the offense doesn't even get a snap. But Tua goes 12 for 22 for 93 yards. Very short, very safe offense which made sense on their game script i mean they had a 28 to 7 lead at one point you know what i mean like this was a a a game where they were in control of the clock pretty much the whole way through um heavy targets on on the tight ends targets to the running backs durham smythe miles gaskin they kept that thing short and they just let to get rid of the ball quick offensive line still isn't great protect him from making bad plays protect him from making hits taking hits obviously his first drop back was uh, a sack from Aaron Donald, but it was just a great rush by the Rams. And, you know, to a, it was nothing to do as well. It was hilarious that the narrative all week was what? It, it was, well, Tua's now got to go up against Aaron Donald. And in, right, yeah, in yeah. your mind, you're kind of like, not 100%. You know, it's like the offensive line is sitting there in front of, like the bigger battle is the interior offensive line versus Aaron Donald. It's it's not like Tua's in an arm wrestling competition or just like a wrestling competition against Aaron Donald. It's it's a little bit different than that. And then the very first pl- pass play that Tua has, it's a fumble <laughs> from from Aaron Donald. I just thought that that was really funny how that came to fruition. What, uh, 
It's what you know, he's an impact player making impact plays there in Donald. Um his his touchdown pass was awesome. Uh he got his first touchdown in, so that's great. All in all, they have still big question marks as to what the offense can be with mm-hmm. Tua. The, you know, this this 14 points against the Rams on offense wasn't yeah. a great outing. They weren't trying to score for much the second half, whatever. But Brian Flores is this is the prince who was promised, man. When you're talking about you know, offshoots of the Brian Belichick defensive coaching staff, the defensive tree. This is the guy now. It was he's been in New England for excuse me, he's been in New England for his entire coaching career. Miami now is his this is his first look outside of New England. It was a big leap that the Dolphins took. Uh, they got an absolute stud in my opinion. You know, like the, he befuddled this Rams offense, much like the yeah. Patriots coach except did a couple years ago. You know what I mean? Like it it was delightful to see. So Brian Flores, man, as as legit of a coach as we've got in the league. And I think that puts the Dolphins in pretty much every game they play from here on out. Yeah, Brian Flores is the New England defensive assistant that people thought Matt Patricia was going to be. And that's kind of coming to fruition here with how well Brian Flores has been able to turn around that team. Because let's face it. Uh, the Detroit Lions were not a good football team when Matt Patricia took over for them. And I would argue that they are still not a good football team. I think that they are better, but they're still not a good football team. Brian Flores has his Miami Dolphins on the cusp of a dang good football team. And that's just a a year being removed from what did they start last year? 0-7 because of how awful that roster was? Is that what they were? Were they 0-6, 0-7, something like that? Um, So... Yeah, what he's been able to do, and like you said, over the last 16-game sample that he has is absolutely worthy of praise. So I said that yesterday. It was a, it was a brilliant defensive game plan to shut down one of the best offensive minds in the game in Sean McVay. Uh, my top story, Steelers. We talked about it uh, either last week or the week before. Hey, are they one of the best teams in the AFC? Are they the best team in the AFC? And I was a little bit closer to saying yes on that question than you were, and perhaps not too much has changed because you just might have these same kind of uh, reservations about what they would be like against a team like the Kansas City Chiefs. But here they are now. They are undefeated. They have taken down the Baltimore Ravens. And it was a great back-and-forth battle. This was the matchup that everyone was looking forward to going into the week. It was close throughout. It came down to the wire. There was one throw left to be had. And I believe Next Gen Stats said on the final play of the game, the Ravens had a 24% chance to win the game because it was basically Which is a, 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 if, a way too much. But was, anyway. Right. It was that that was too much. But you know, Lamar completes that pass in the end zone and boom, Ravens win. Uh if he doesn't complete it, which he did not, there you go. Steelers win. And Steelers, where undefeated, I think it's overblown as a headline. This team's legit. Um I saw a tweet that, that you had about Ben Roethlisberger where he talked about how he was just playing backyard football. Like in in the second half, right? Where they'd get in the huddle and he'd be like, all right, uh, you run this route, you run this route, you run this route against this guy, we'll make it happen. All right, break. And it's, it's like, you're, Ludicrous. Playing, you're playing the Baltimore Ravens. You know what I'm saying? Like Ludicrous. This, this is the Jets. If a, t- if a team like the Steelers or or the Bucks or the, the Cowboys when they had Prescott or, or the Seattle Seahawks, whatever, if, if a top offensive team, I probably just slept on somebody so hard and, and I'm going to get yelled at for it, but if a top offensive team was playing <laughs> the Jets and they were like, hey, let's play some backyard football, let's have some fun with this, let's not actually run real plays, let's, let's just mess around, I'd be like, all right, cool, it's the Jets, they're just having fun. This is the Ravens. This is the divisional foe Baltimore Ravens. And Ben Roethlisberger, as he has done so many times throughout his career, 
is able to just work off script and have these wacky plays turn in his favor just because it feels like that's one of the quarterbacks that he is. You know, I, I don't want to compare him too much to uh, Domino from the Deadpool 2 movie where she's just like, yeah, luck is a superpower. But it sometimes feels like Ben Roethlisberger, that's good. That's a good analogy. you know, hikes it, you know, walks around the pocket a little bit, narrowly avoids a tackle by like scooting up to the, towards the line of scrimmage. You all can picture exactly what I'm saying when I say those words. And then he'll dump it off to a wide receiver who's either coming back to him or coming across the line of scrimmage. That just feels like what the Steelers have done when they've been at their best. Yes, they have a controlled offense. I don't want to say that everything is completely erratic, but you've got to be able to play backyard football sometimes to beat the best teams in the NFL. And it just seems like combined with that defense that they have behind them, the Steelers are just firing off on all cylinders. And with that defense being something that is behind this offense, I think the Steelers would have a legit shot to be any team, not just in the AFC, but in the NFL, and I think that they're proving that. I, I can't put them over the Chiefs. I can't do it. I, like And that the thing is, like... Yeah, but like we got to go back to what we talked about on this topic two weeks ago. Would you still pick Chiefs to win the game? Yeah. Would I? I maybe. But the fact of the matter is, is that the Steelers have a formula to give themselves a chance to beat the Chiefs. Like, they have, I think, in my opinion, maybe you don't agree, I think the Steelers have a formula with how that offense is clicking and how that defense is dominating that they can absolutely beat any right. team in this league in any given week, including right. yeah, the Chiefs. Yeah. I agree with that. I think that defense, like, I mean, Stephon Tewitt had, I'm counting here, 12 sacks on the day. Uh, no, Stephon Tewitt had, <laughs> he had two sacks, three TFLs, three quarterback hits. Uh, TJ Nuts. Watt had eight pressures, five quarterback hits. I eight mean, pressures. Dude, here's the thing about the Baltimore offensive line. It's not good. They went from, like, they, they, they were sneaking around with Bradley Bozeman, Patrick McCarry out there last year. And we were all like, wow, they can plug guys into their system. It's great. No more Marshall Yonda. That doesn't look as pretty as it used to. Ronnie Stanley goes down with injury. The only guy they had that was like is a, that really remains, I think, a top ca- league caliber starter for them is Orlando Brown, and Brown was getting waxed by TJ. I mean, like, he just was not winning that matchup. So, yeah, like, when you look at the Colts' interior offensive line, there is room there for Cameron Hayward and Stephon Tewitt to dominate the way that you saw them dominate against the Ravens. Because to me, that was where the Steelers won that game, was in, in the defensive trenches. So I'll give you that. Um, I, like, I don't know. Watching that game through it was so mistake riddled it was so sloppy it was so turnover heavy that you kind of knew like it was going to come down to just a deciding play that like everything ended up resting in the balance on and that was that Ravens final drive they were running the ball like crazy and they ran it they ran all the way down the field they get to fourth and three and or they get to first and 10 I should say the 15 and the Steelers stop. They run the ball four consecutive times, and the Steelers stop them. That right there is an example of that defense just saying, "Right, you're the best. Yeah, you're, you've been the best running team in the league for the past two years, and we're going to stop you all of a sudden with Cameron Hayward and Tyson Alulu injured." That's exactly what they did, and that is a defensive performance that you want to believe. So I'll believe in them for that, but I don't think I think they're a top two team in the AFC. I do not think they're okay. one. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, we're getting closer. We're getting closer. Top two team in the AFC. Maybe maybe in a couple of weeks we'll have... Maybe we'll just revisit this like every 14 days and see if anything changes in your mind. We'll just make it a, a reoccurring segment of the show. Bi-weekly a, thing. A bi... No, it's bi-monthly, right? It'd be a bi-monthly? Bi-weekly. That'd be twice a week. We don't want to do it twice a week. It, it can mean both. 
Can it? Yeah. I might be on to you here, Solak. I'm not so sure about that. That's what it means. I don't know what you want from me. Thanks, uh, to, thanks to the lack of natural athleticism or commitment or overbearing parents, less than 1% of the 1% of the 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they get to join another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season is going to be different, and Pepsi is here to get us ready for game day no matter how we watch Pepsi is the refreshment that you need to power through game day because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those who watch it. Pepsi made for football. Watch it. But I had to throw this in here at the top of the show because I saw people on Twitter.com having this discussion. DK Metcalf. DeKalen Zecharias Metcalf. Yep, DeKalen, yep. Is a top what receiver in the NFL? Right now? How many? Yes, I am not talking about careers. I'm not talking about uh, like lo- like five years down there. I'm talking about right now. DeKalen Metcalf in the 2020 year of our Lord is a top what receiver? Okay. Hot, Julio, Calvin, Keenan, Michael Thomas, Tyreek Hill, Chris Godwin. Devontae you'd, Adams, you'd, Stephon you'd, Diggs. You'd still take all of these guys over Metcalf? Uh, let me establish. Okay. Get a baseline. Uh, okay. All right, all right, all right, all right. I won't rush you. Yeah, so he's he's definitely top 10. Without a okay. doubt, yes. Yeah, so Hopkins, Julio, Keenan Allen, uh, Amari Cooper, Tyreek Hill, Chris Godwin, Devontae Adams, Stephon Diggs. That's eight. And I'm looking just at, like, the top contracts for wide receivers and i can't think of another like really really good rookie um so those eight i Uh, think you have to get uh metcalf in the conversation at least then at nine i didn't include like odell i didn't include like mike evans aj green whatever and then even then i think you can argue metcalf probably over a couple of those guys so i would i I, sorry i didn't mean to cut you off go ahead go ahead now fringe top five but probably more so like top eight okay I, that's that's kind of where I am, but I'm on the higher end of it. I'd tell you he's five. I would tell you that he is in the same category right now as DeAndre Hopkins, Julio Jones, Tyree Kill, um, I, Devontae Adams, thank you, Ben, and uh, mm-hmm. DK would be my five. Those would be my five receivers right now that I would have as my top five dudes this season. Those, I, like, those are unstoppable players at their best. Those are, you line up your best dude against me. I know Cardinals fans are going to be like, what about Patrick Peterson? Okay, yes, it happens. Matchups are good matchups, and Patrick Peterson's a good corner. But those are the kind of players where I would have confidence every single week that my best guy going up against your best guy, I'm going to win. I'd do that with those five players. So I would tell you right now that DK is a top five wide receiver in the NFL. Here's here's the thing. Like, Okay, is he top five? Arguably. Is he 22 years old and this probably isn't stopping anytime soon? Yes. So is he going to be top five inarguably at some point in the relatively near future? Probably. <laughs> I, thought you were gonna, I thought you were going to give like an other side of the coin there. I thought you were going to give like a, but, no. but instead you just strengthened the argument. I just, no, I think, I think, right. I think like if you and I might disagree whether or not he's top five now, but I think that the I, I I forgot that he's only 22. He'll turn 23 in December. Like he's staying around for a long time. Right, and obviously, it's right. just about his neck staying healthy. That's the big thing for him. But Russ isn't going away. 
uh, Shadi isn't going away and Metcalf isn't going away. And Metcalf's only going to become like it's not like you like it's not like teams are going to start paying attention to him. Like they already are. You know right. I mean? like, yeah. Like he's he's really uh, he's he's around to say I think he's going to continue to be very productive. Fun quick fact. Okay. Uh, very here for it. Marquise Brown was the first wide receiver drafted. Can you imagine the Ravens had DK Metcalf instead of Marquise Brown? Marquise Brown, by the way, had one catch for three yards against the Steelers. Yeah, and then tweeted that he wants out. No, I, he didn't exactly. He didn't exactly tweet that he wants out. He said, "He said, what was why the, you have bosses if you don't use them? Big dogs, something yeah, like that. Something, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, trade him. I trade him to Tampa to, to the Eagles. Are no, you sure? Tampa. No, Sounds good. <laughs> um, okay. Speaking of the Ravens, my rookie of the week is yes. J.K. Dobbins. Uh, Mark Ingram out for this game. The fantasy community has been." clamoring for J.K. Dobbins to be the feature back in this backfield. He wasn't even. Uh, he had 15 carries. Gus Edwards and Lamar Jackson both had 16. But Dobbins actually had 113 yards uh, as compared to Gus Edwards, 87, and Lamar, 65. So he was the best runner. He averaged 7.5 yards a carry. No back in the league is averaging more yards after contact than J.K. Dobbins is. Uh, I think it's 4.5 yards after contact, uh, which is... Uh, equal, excuse me, it's 4.2 yards after contact per rush, which is equal to Nick Chubb before Chubb went down with injury. Uh, Dobbins in this offense, if, if, if firstly, he needs to be the primary ball carrier above Ingram for the rest of the year. Yeah. Secondly, if he had been the primary ball carrier since week one, we'd probably have a chance to lead the league in rushing as a rookie. Uh, he is no, my number one running back from that class. Ended up in the best running back system, probably top two, top three in the league. And he he's he's translating clearly yeah. in his physical toolkit. Uh, so it, the the future is very very bright, and hopefully this was the dawn of the J.K. Dobbins era in Baltimore. No, he's he's been great. He's been fantastic, and him getting to go to Baltimore, it was it's perfect. Even even with the overcrowded room, like you just you know that it's eventually going to be J.K. Dobbins' time for them to lean on him in basically every way that we want because he, he's going to reward them. And, and I think that we started to see the fruits of that. And we have even before. So this was, this was again, a nice thing to see. My Rookie of the Week is a little combination. So I, it's people might say that that's a little bit unfair because if I honestly had to vote on just this week on a single performance with stats, I would agree with you that it would be J.K. Dobbins. But because I don't always want to do the agreement thing unless it's just egregious, like a guy deserves two votes for, for what he did this week. I'm going with Albert Okwegbenam from the tight end from Denver. So three weeks ago, he makes his debut, and he's second on the team in targets. He had four end zone targets. Drew Locke, who was his teammate at Missouri, just went after this guy. That You could tell that the trust was there. He just misfired on a couple of his passes, couldn't reel him in, couldn't actually come down with a touchdown. Last week, he led the Broncos in targets. He had seven targets, had seven catches with it. So he was the team leader in both of those categories. And then this week, he only got one target. But I wanted to shout him out because that one target was a nine-yard touchdown. And also, when the game was on the line, when the Denver Broncos were marching down the field, and when it came time to, we have one pass play left to make it happen. Guess where Drew Locke looked? Albert Okawagbanov. He has, KJ Hamler. He has nope. oh, all sorry. of these other guys on. Well, I mean, he did go to K- Hamler yeah, yeah, after yeah, that. But it, it was the play before that set up that play at the one-yard line in which Locke decided to go to Albert O. And you look at that team. 
Deshaun Hamilton, Jerry Judy, Noah Fant. They have KJ Hamler. You know, even when they have Tim Patrick and Cortland Sutton in there, I expect that Albert Okwebunam is going to continue to be a force in this offense because of the chemistry that he has with Drew Locke. And I just, I thought that that was such a testament to how successful he has been so far in the early weeks of his career. And again, that that rapport that he has with his quarterback. I wanted to give him a shout out and make sure that, that he got on our list for uh, for some solid performances here over the last two weeks. Because look, when, when you are the go-to guy, I think that really speaks volumes even more so than a total stat sheet would. And so wanted to give him a shout out there for being um, Locke's number one guy when the, the game was on the line. With Noah Fant back, I'm worried that Oklahoma's not going to be like they're not going to base twelve, but it's clear that Locke trusts him, and like Locke should learn also to trust other players that he didn't play with in college. But trust is trust, and it's helpful, especially for a young quarterback. And people were ready to like throw Locke in the dumpster and never start him again after the first half of that game. And Locke brought the Broncos back, and I'm as this podcast knows far from a Drew Locke apologist. There's one thing to remember about Drew Locke, but he had himself a, a fairly good second half there against Denver. I think he's going to, or against the Chargers, excuse me. And I think he's going to keep getting better. Broncos fans are all over the place right now. Like, I, yeah, I, my, I pu- out, my, listen, my uh, publisher for today is just begging everybody to just let Drew Locke play the rest of the season yeah, and we'll talk like, about him then. Like, we got to calm down. Man. And we got chill. I, I wrote two different mock drafts last week because I wrote one with the Vegas order and then I wrote one with the regular order. And in, both instances, I had numerous people on both sides going, how in the world are you not giving the Broncos a quarterback? Like, they need a quarterback. Like, they need to move up and go get one because Drew Locke's terrible. And then in other ones, it was like, we're fine at quarterback, blah, 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 like all this. And I just could not believe how divided the fan base was on people who genuinely just, like, believe in Drew Locke and people who are already done with the dude. It was... It was Crazy to me how how we got to that point, and I'm I'm with you. I'm gonna smash retweet on that article because we just gotta calm down. Like you can't go week to week with your quarterback. It's just an unhealthy way to live. Your stress level will be a lot better if you just know that Drew Lock is at least gonna get the rest of this year and let him play it out. You don't gotta go week to week with them. So I'm glad that you are they're writing that because I feel like uh some Broncos fans need to hear it. You wanna go to the dumbest thing that I saw this week? <laughs> take that yeah. I'll, I'll take that as a absolute yes. Listen, we sat here and we said Chauncey Gardner Johnson is not only a first round prospect for his play. But because of his antagonistic tendencies at defensive back, it is a skill if a safety is a bit of a B. And Gardner Johnson got Javon Wims ejected from a football game by being just a mean person. I don't know if he was even mean. He was just annoying. Right, like, like just like, like just everything, like the things that the things that Chauncey Gardner Johnson does are just like annoying. You know, like, I, I tweeted after the game, and we'll we'll recap this. Uh, actually, I'll just recap it now. Okay, like, in the third quarter, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, mm-hmm. it's a heated game. Going back and forth between the Chicago Bears and the New Orleans Saints. Javon Wims, wide receiver for the Chicago Bears, um, who went to Georgia, by the way, and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson went to Florida, and guess what week it is? <laughs> it's Florida-Georgia week. So we, we, got the, we got the rivalry started early this one. So in the third quarter, I believe it was in the third quarter, 
Um, Garner Johnson and Wims, they're seen after the play kind of like going back and forth a little bit. They're, they're just kind of like jawing at each other. And at the end of it, Chauncey gets the last laugh by ripping Wims' mouthpiece off of his face mask. He just like quick grabs it and rips it off and then throws it on the ground like away from him. Wims then... Unbelievably childish and hilarious. Oh, 100%. Yes. Un- yes. yes, completely I should. I want to say right now, Javon Wims claims that Chauncey Garner-Johnson spat on him. And if that's the case, this is not funny. Right. But right, as right, for right. what we know right now via video evidence, this is hilarious. Which I also... Pro- like, I-, I said after the game, like, I'm going to... I'm going to big group text with uh, people that went for, to Florida. And so obviously, you know, when, when Chauncey bugs the crap out of people and gets them to retaliate, all, everybody's just like, ha ha, look at that. Chauncey got you again. But I said in the, in the, in the text, look, Chauncey deserves to get his ass beat every now and then, you know, like the, for the stuff that he does, <laughs> he deserves some right. of this stuff to have. 100%. So yeah, if he, uh, yeah, if he, I mean, if he spit on whims, then he absolutely deserves to get smacked. There's, there's no need to get that disrespectful at any point in a game. That, like, there's no place for that. But all we saw was he, he rips the mouthpiece out from him. Wims then has to go to the sideline. Uh, somebody who took an account of this on Twitter. I can't remember the Twitter handle. At Evan Sachs. Okay. Sachs with two A's. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, said that there was an 11-minute period where Wims was just standing on the sideline thinking about what happened. How <laughs> Chauncey just ripped his mouthpiece out and there's nothing he can do about it. He gets back into the game and the very first thing that he does, he's not even getting covered by, by Garner Johnson. He's getting covered by Janoris Jenkins and then after the play is over, walks over to Janoris Jenkins or walks over to Garner Johnson, rips his mouthpiece out and then proceeds to smack him in the head while Garner Johnson's wearing a helmet to which Garner Johnson obviously just stares at him because he just tried to punch him while he had a helmet on. And then he gets a couple more swings in before uh, Janoris Jenkins just goes all spider monkey and then just jumps on his back. And you know what? We I just wanted to say, we all need a friend like Janoris Jenkins. Yeah, who, who Jack like, Rabbit was ready to scrap at a moment's notice. He went full MMA move on Javon Wims to get him off Gardner Johnson. And so uh, Wims gets tossed. I think that he's going to get suspended too, but... This was absolutely the dumbest thing in the world for so many reasons. Right. So the best the, the best part is how this goes on. Like when this circulates on Twitter, it's just the whims Garner Johnson exchange, right? Like that's all that you see because people obviously aren't showing the the background, right? Like they, nobody knows the background yet. People haven't been tracking this mouthpiece event. So right, you just see whims run his little route, walk up to Chauncey. Go to rip the mouthpiece off. I don't think he successfully gets it, which to me is objectively hilarious, right? I thought he was trying to snatch his chain. I thought he was trying to keep to leave him. But it's clear he's going for the mouthpiece, and I don't see him get it. Which, dude, if it's just dangling there, you want to know why you're buried on the the Bears wide receiver death chart? You don't have the hand-eye coordination for this, clearly. If you can't just get the mouthpiece off the face mask. So first, I think he misses the mouthpiece. And then, right, he goes and he hits Chauncey. I don't think Chauncey realizes it's whims. And not only do I think Chauncey doesn't realize it's whims, this just how much of an antagonist is Chauncey Gardner Johnson? He doesn't even know who this is. Right. Because right. he's done this to so many different players at so many different times that he like he doesn't even know why this would be a response that he has to deal with. This is the, the this is this is the Thanos meme when 
Scarlet Witch comes down. She's like, you took everything from me. And he's just like, I don't even know who you yeah. are. Who That's Chauncey Carter Johnson. Right. They said, no, remember when Bradley Chubb used to steal towels at NC State? Yes, it was the dumbest thing right. in the world. It's freaking hilarious. <laughs> it's but nobody's so going to. No, dumb. Nobody's going to roll up on Bradley Chubb because Bradley Chubb's 275. He's yoked. Chauncey's just like, you know, an annoying safety. Javon Williams like, I've got this. is going to go great. Chauncey takes that punch <laughs> on the chin and literally just looks back at him and is just like, what is going on? It is hilarious. And I, listen, in the, mo- in the, in the perfect spirit of ball, don't lie, on the very next play, Marshawn Lattimore intercepts the football. Bears were up at this time. Immediate. Three point, by not three point swings. They weren't in field goal range, but uh, 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 Lattimore gets a pick in in Bears territory, and it becomes a field goal, and the Saints are able to take the lead. That it, listen, if that doesn't immediately indicate that Chauncey Gardner Johnson was a great investment in the fourth round, gets a fifteen yard penalty, and the subsequent deep pass is intercepted, man, that's that's that that's if that doesn't show up in the box score, Trevor. That's quality football. It's truly doing what your your team needs you to do at all times. You remember when Chauncey Garner Johnson did like the the you must be this tall to ride the ride to who was it, Tariq Cohen? Is that who yes. it was? Mm-hmm. Dude is ruthless, man. Like I said, like I said, for he the stuff be- the stuff that Chauncey pulls, he deserves to get smacked in the head, including by his own players, reportedly. So I mean, like that's the kind of that, that when people ask me, hey, who is who is captain of the all chirp team? It has to be Chauncey. It's Chauncey. It's Chauncey because, like, he's not like an elite corner, or he's not like an elite free safety. His his whole like thing is versatility. So he just is everywhere and is just always extremely obnoxious. Like it, yeah. it, it he's he's like if Minka Fitzpatrick were like an angry person, but Minka's like way too good and cool to be an angry person. So Chauncey's like, I'm not that good, so I'm just gonna be very rude all of the time. That's gonna make my play better, and it does. He's delightful. I I was gonna say he's delightful when you're when you're not playing against him. When you're when you're a Saints fan, he's delightful. But yeah, but I mean, we even got Michael Thomas duking with him. Apparently, (laughs) that's a good point. You know, so I'm like, I don't (laughs) forgot that he was the one who was in the fight with Thomas. Right. Oh my goodness. What 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 was the people? I I'm pretty sure that this is just a hundred percent. Yes, (laughs) slam boy. Chauncey's got one of the best wide receivers in the league on his team and probably thinks he's bad because he runs mostly slants. <laughs> I have no wait, it, that's not that's not verified, right? I have to I No, have to say it's it. made up, but it's still funny. Okay, okay, thank you. Alright. So we have to we have to say that this is not like we don't know for one hundred percent that Chauncey Carter Johnson called Michael Thomas slant boy, and that's why <laughs> he got <laughs> Okay, podcasting. I'm moving on. I'm moving on. Folks, we talked to you about Built Bar uh, at the very beginning of the podcast. These are the best tasting protein bars ever. They've got 18 fantastic flavors. You can go over to BuiltBar.com. You can see all the 18 flavors. And the best part is you don't even just have to choose one. You can do a mixed box where you can get uh, plenty of different flavors. Uh, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eighteen. 18. I don't know if you can go, go up to 18, but you can figure it out. These are great for health-conscious people as well. We say that they taste like a candy bar, but they're low in calories, low in sugar, high in protein, high in fiber. They're also great for a keto diet. If you go over to BuiltBar.com, find something you like, we guarantee that you're going to. Use the promo code LOCKEDON, all caps, no spaces, LOCKEDON, and you will get 20% off 
your next order. BuiltBar.com, locked on, 20% off. All right. Got to reel it back in. Spider-Man meme. Let's do the Spider-Man meme. We haven't done this one in a couple of weeks, so this is a segment that we do where if you literally just think about what I am saying, it's the Spider-Man meme where it's two Spider-Mans pointing at each other because it's the same same. guy. It's the same thing. Ben, what is your Spider-Man meme of the week? I, on this podcast, said that the Green Bay Packers were going to be the Minnesota Vikings by double digits. They proceeded to lose to the Minnesota Vikings. They they made it interesting in garbage time. Not interesting enough to put the total over, in case anyone was wondering. Um, but 28-22 is the loss. They lose to the, the one-win Vikings team. Meanwhile, like Aaron Rodgers played outside of his mind. He was great. At halftime, he had one incompletion and two touchdowns, mm-hmm. and it was tied 14-14. This game was extremely fast. It, there were only four drives in the first half. The, the Packers had uh, a, a fifth drive with 25 seconds left that lasted for one play. But 13-play touchdown drive, 10-play touchdown drive, 15-play touchdown drive, 12-play touchdown drive. The Vikings could not not run the football against the Packers if they tried. If they had nobody blocked and gave the ball to Dalvin Cook, they were still picking up three yards. Dalvin Cook ended the day with 30 carries for 163 yards and three touchdowns, which is, you know, a little bit good. Uh, Kirk Cousins only attempted 14 passes on the day. He ha- averaged eleven y- over 11 yards per passing attempt and w- fewer than two air yards per attempt, which is to say that in the event that he threw it, he did not throw it down the field at all, and yet still gained a first down on average with yards after the catch. How did this happen? Because the Packers' defense against the Vikings in 2019 was actually fairly solid. They scored 16 points and 10 points against the Packers in two games with Kevin Stefanski. Well, Mike Pettin's really big on this whole don't defend the run thing. This whole play with light boxes, play with safeties as linebackers thing. And I think that there's a lot of good and interesting truths there. I think there's, there's, you know, a, a focus on defending the passing game that is interesting from a league-wide perspective. But what happens when you play the San Francisco 49ers is that that interesting league-wide trend becomes a 37-8 to loss in the NFC uh, Championship game because you are not adjusting your resources don't tell me what to I am. an off what's that you were just saying you you just kept saying you oh, and yeah. I was like don't tell me what i am Patton is not adjusting his resources to a run heavy offense they, they, they lose 37 to 8 in, in in the regular season to the niners get the niners again in the in the championship round and lose 37 to 20 largely scoring points in garbage time they ended the season last year in rushing dvoa this is the packers run defense dvoa as the sixth worst team in the league. They were 27th in the league against the run on defense. We all expect regression. They come out and they look great. Rodgers is playing outside of his mind. Jair Alexander is one of the best young corners in the league. Smith brothers aren't pass rushing about as well as you would expect them to, about as well as they usually do. But the defense is still hanging on. Aaron Jones looks great. Offensive line is one of the best in the league. They're running defense before this week. They were 22nd in run defense DVOA. Mm-hmm. And Dalvin Cook just hung 163 on them. They're going to go down. So this, the, the team has the same problems. You look at the Packers' schedule, and they're, okay, next week they've got the 49ers. They're going to get absolutely trounced if the defensive coordinator doesn't make a decision to take away the run against one of like the three teams in the league that would rather run the ball than throw it. 
So you've got like a good formula here for, you know, facing the Saints and for facing the Bucs, right? Like they dominated the Bucs. But they beat the Vikings 43-34 in week one. And then they lost 28-22 in week two. The Vikings' only good offensive game so far this season, generalization, have come against Packers. So at some point, you have to identify the teams that are going to run the football on you and choose to, to stop the run. Choose to change what you do on defense. Otherwise, hmm. you know what you're going to be, Packers? You're going to be 11-5, 12-4. You're going to be the, the number one, the top seed in the NFC North. You're going to go to the playoffs. And you're going to beat the Los Angeles Rams and the San Francisco 49ers. And they're going to beat you because you're refusing to do to stop what they actually do well, which is run the football. So... You know, we we said the Packers are going to be what they were last year, and or we're going to regress from last year, and they haven't. But they still have the same problems they had last year. They're still making the same choices, letting themselves get beaten the same ways that they did last year. And that's extremely frustrating for a, a good roster, and I think a defense coordinator that does some good things, but just will not solve this one problem for his team. Yeah, it's man the, when the Packers are, are are rolling again. You know, the early parts of the season. Seems like they're unstoppable, but it just seems like there is, uh, you know, that word unstoppable can't really be used because there's a blueprint. Feels like there's a blueprint here with Green Bay, and you're right. You've, you've got to switch up what you're doing. You you can't you can't be manipulated against good coaches because I talk about this with quarterback play all the time. Um, I was actually making this argument for, well, against Jared Goff when I was talking with our content team over at TDN yesterday. It's kind of like. In one of our topics, we're going to touch on, like, what do we do with? And for the Rams, like, it's kind of like a what do you do with Jared Goff? Because I understand that they made it to the Super Bowl a couple of years ago. But do you expect him to be able to win three or four games in a row against really good teams and really good coaches? I I don't. And that's kind of where I am a little bit with Green Bay's defense. It's like, I think Green Bay's offense is good enough to get it done against most teams in the NFL. But can they win three or four in a row? Like, can they lean on their defense three or four games in a row to be what they need to be against some really smart head coaches? I'm not so sure they're there. Right. This is why, and this is why, and this is very analogous to the Patton thing, which is like, all right, you're gonna beat the Lions. Sick. You're gonna even eat the Bucks. You're <laughs> sick. You're, yeah, you're even gonna beat the Bucks, like because like you, the Bruce Arians vertical passing game, and you've got that locked down. Freaking, that's lit, dude. I'm so stoked for you. They you gotta be able to beat. What's that? They didn't beat the Bucks, by the way. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna be, you're gonna be the Saints. You're gonna be able to be the Falcons. Right, she's right. You know, I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I was just trolling you. Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. So cool. I'm proud of you, buddy. If you you got to be able to beat multiple good teams, right? So like Jared Goff, like oh yeah, like when when teams base four down fronts, you're gonna beat those teams. That's awesome. If teams that give wide surfaces, right? Like six man front, seven man fronts and teams that blitz and run man free behind. That's all the, the, the Dolphins did in the defensive backfield. If those teams, if you don't have an answer talent wise and scheme wise, cause they don't have an answer talent wise or scheme wise, the Rams right now, then you're not going to make it through the playoffs. Cause eventually you're going to hit a team that can do that. Not every team is capable of it. Like not every team is capable of running the football as well as the Vikings do. But when you reach that team, if you don't have an answer, then in the water. My Spider-Man meme segment, just to bounce back to that. I made this joke last week as Wentz was once, uh, Carson Wentz was once again looking terrible. Uh, I called him on Twitter, Carson Winston, uh, basically to play off Jameis Winston, uh, saying that he's the same guy. I'm here to say that a week later, we're getting close to that. We're getting dangerously close to it. Right now, Carson Wentz has 12 touchdowns, 
and 12 interceptions. His 12 interceptions are most in the NFL. Second is Kirk Cousins, but then like next is Cam Newton with seven. So it's like mm-hmm. he's leading by a lot. His completion yeah. percentage is also below 60%, which is bad. And I know that you could probably touch on this a little bit more than I can, but you know, Carson Wentz, for as much as it seems like you look at him and what he could be, and you know, you listen to the coaching staff talk about Carson Wentz and the ability of where he can carry you, and you look at the positives of what Wentz can do for your offense, you say, okay, but like he can do this, he can do this, can do this. But at the same time, he's also doing things that are actively hurting your team every single week. And that was the thing about Jameis Winston. It wasn't that Jameis couldn't get it done. It wasn't that Jameis couldn't outgunsling anybody. There were there were games where Jameis felt like he could go drive for drive with some of the best quarterbacks in the NFL just because that's the way this dude was. But he rarely got to that point or didn't get to that point as much as he should have against good teams because he was also a detriment to what they were trying to do. That goal that they were trying to achieve to get to that point to put themselves into position for his strengths to actually shine. And that's where I feel like we are with Carson Wentz. I feel like we are at a point where he is just now a negative to his own abilities. And that's truly what was the Achilles heel for Winston. It was not looking at what he can do. It was looking at what he is actively doing on the other side of things and realizing that you're not going to get to this ceiling that you can project if he's going to keep playing the way that they are playing. So it eventually became the demise of Winston. You know, the team moved on from him. They weren't happy for him for with him for really a couple of years, but now this is it, it just feels like it's all spiraling downhill for him. And so you could probably speak a little bit more to this. I don't want to make you talk too much about it because you have your own podcast talking about the Eagles breaking it down over there at Kiss and Solak. But that's what I see as an outsider when I'm looking at Carson Wentz, that it doesn't matter what he can do for you in a positive, because what he is doing for you at a negative does it, it, it it's almost like right. uh they're wiping it out at a bare minimum, if not making it worse altogether. Yeah, no, that that the Cowboys game is the worst so far of a season, which it came against the worst defense he's played so this so far this season. So I just don't have I don't have an answer on that. Like I can't pre- predicting what how well Carson Wentz is going to play is now at this point just a, a, a lost effort. There's no reason to try. The problem with the Wentz Carson comparison is that Winston at least made explosive plays. Uh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Carson picks up seven yards on the ground instead of taking a sack, which is like oh that's a 15 yard swing. I guess that's nice. Right, he didn't get a sack near as much as I think Winston did because he's a better scrambler than Winston was. But at least Winston could like, oh, I've got Mike Evans one-on-one coverage vertical on the outside. Let's just throw this thing up there, and if this is a pick, it's a pick. But if it's not, it's a not. Wentz is throwing his pick, his interceptions thrown into triple coverage on curl routes. You know what I mean? Like he'll have Travis Fulgham one-on-one on the outside. He'll be like, let me escape the pocket and then see if I can get Dallas Goddard on a crosser ninety yards down the field with three guys. Right, like his. Winston's decision-making, at least to me, followed a path where you could be like, all right, this guy's a nutcase, but I understand what he's doing. Yeah. With Carson, there is the, the coaching staff is terrified of giving him post-snap decisions. And when Wentz makes a post-snap decision, there's no rhyme or reason as to what he's trying to do. There are plays where it's like, oh, I'm at the 40. This is a good shot play territory. I will not throw this football anywhere else but the end zone. It does not matter what happens. And it's like, dude. You have to read the defense. Yeah. And then there's other plays where it's like it's like third and 11, and Carson wants to be like, I'm going to get rid of this ball in 1.5 seconds to a slant two yards down the field. And it's just like, dude, do you know what down and distance it is? Like, it's a, <laughs> yeah. I, I can't tell you how he makes decisions. So Winston was risk-prone, and Wentz is also. But to me, 
Wentz does not give you the explosives that help on the trade-off. Winston, in his final season with the Bucks, was passable. What the Eagles have gotten from Carson Wentz in a few games this season, not every game, but in a few games this season, is a, is a straight liability. It's bad. So Winston I, was volatile. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm asking you this question, not as a troll in any way, but— All right. You drafted a quarterback in the second round. And Jalen yep. Hurts is nothing close to, I think, that like what Carson Wentz's ceiling could be for you. But if you are to the point where Winston or Wentz continues to play like this, he's no longer your franchise quarterback. Like, how much can you still believe in this guy? And the Bucs eventually hit that breaking point where they went, dang, for even as much as Winston might be a trade-off here and there, he's not your franchise quarterback anymore. So now it's time to find out who might be. How close are they to honestly start? Well, it's a two-part question. How close do you think that they honestly are to playing Jalen Hurts? And then how much, how close should they be to playing Jalen Hurts? The Eagles had four turnovers and a turnover on downs in their first seven drives against the Cowboys. They were down nine to seven. And the... uh, the, the coaching staff was asked after the game if they had any thoughts about Ben Carson Wentz. They said emphatically no. So I have no idea how poorly he needs to play that they would think about it. Because four turnovers and turnover on downs in, five, in seven drives is about as bad as quarterbacking gets. All four turnovers for Carson. Two fumbles, two interceptions. So they, they're not close. How close should they be? I think Jalen Hurts should have gotten a drive against the Cowboys. A drive. Put Carson back in, unless Hurts like you know is dominant, and then you leave Hurts out there. But absolutely, like the bye week, I get it with the bye week coming up because what Carson needs is a, is a wash, right? Carson needs a full break, and this is like the third year in a row he's needed a break. But it's clear he's so mentally in his own head, he's so mentally broken. He, you know, the the constant turnover at wide receiver, he doesn't know who's going to target. Like there, like multiple times in the last three weeks, he's like staring at a dude waiting for him to break on a hot round. He just doesn't break. On the fourth and three last night, he had no idea where his progression went because they got the ball on on the ball like five seconds left on the play clock. Yeah. Everything is so haphazard. So he like a, a two week break will help him. But there are there were at, at last night after the way he was playing, somebody has to be the big boy in the room in the coaching staff and say Carson, sit on the sideline, look at the the, the iPad, figure out what you want to do on offense, figure out what you want to do in the passing game. We're putting Jalen Hurts in for the next drive. I'm going to sit down with you, and we're going to talk about what this passing game is going to look like for the, for the rest of the game. But just chucking you out there and keeping kid gloves on you, you're a fifth-year quarterback. What, is he, oh, is he developing? Are you getting him into a rhythm? He's a fifth-year quarterback. He got $134 million. We're past that point. So I think Hurts should have gotten a drive last night, and, and I don't think he will for the remainder of the season because Carson – I don't know how you can get worse than four turnovers against the Dallas Cowboys defense. It's also a really weird situation because they're 3-4-1, and right? That's their record. Normally, when you would be at this point at the beginning of November, you could think to yourself, okay, if this continues to progress not very well, you know, right up below 500, maybe Wentz is done in Philadelphia. Normally, the month of December, probably the last two, three weeks of the season, you could go throw Jalen Hurts out there and you'd be like, hey, we're— this is the time now. Like the season's kind of done. We're not going to make the playoffs. The Eagles are in first place at three, four, and one. So like they're in a really crappy situation because I think that where timing might favor right. them making a switch, it doesn't this year. You you're about to make the playoffs. You might you might be hosting a playoff game at six, 
nine and one. You know, like they might be hosting a playoff game. And I game. would love to see it as I mean, a it full would be, on. It would be absolutely hilarious. Yeah. But you cannot bench your quarterback at any point if that's the case. You know, because you've got to, uh, you've got to as 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 Forrest Whitaker says in in Black Panther, maintain the lie that you are an actual worthy playoff team. So that's nice pull. The 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 calendar of events for the the Philadelphia Eagles is is making this even more difficult than it should be. All right, we only have a couple minutes left, so we're not going to get to our weekly funeral. We will push them back to next week because it's a very important one, and it might have been a little bit premature this week, but we're going to push it to next week, and it could be a a big one to talk about. Best of the rest, I just wanted to mention, hey, I said it at the beginning of the show, the Las Vegas Raiders-Cleveland Browns game, just throw it out. Like don't like don't don't overthink this. The the game was so wacky because of weather. There's a bunch of weird stuff that was going on. Just throw the whole game out. Uh, Chargers cannot be trusted at any point. I'm <laughs> I am one more blown double digit lead away from the Chargers need to trade away their beautiful jerseys because they do not deserve them. I am very close to firing send on that tweet. That'll actually probably happen at some point. I, I might even say, hey, just trade Justin Herbert. I don't want to have him a, a, a career of of being a Charger if this is what's going to happen. Uh, my last uh, best of the rest, Indianapolis Colts. Getting back on the quiet rise. They're 5-2 and two now. Darius Leonard played this week, played very well. Another win for the Indianapolis Colts, who, shoot, when they lost their first game to the Jacksonville Jaguars, we went, all right, well, are the Colts the team we thought they were? They're back in control now. They're back in the driver's seat, and it's good to see. Yeah, my best of the rest, alternatively to the never trusting the Chargers, is the the Drew Lockled comeback for the Broncos. I think that's a big lightning rod opportunity for a three and four Broncos team that's still a little bit unhealthy on offense, very unhealthy on defense. But I like what Vic Fangio is doing there. I don't, I, I'm not sold on Lock at all. But I think that if Lock's going to be good, that's your springboard. Uh, if you're if you're Denver, so you've got to look through that game and, and hope that that's how you build out a franchise offense with Locke moving forward. Uh, Bears defense, man. Uh, yes, they lost that game to the Saints. They pulled the Saints into overtime, and the Saints did not have Manny Sanders, and they did not have Michael Thomas. But this Bear, like every game that you watch of the Bears, you realize to what degree this Bears defense is dragging the Bears offense, kicking and screaming into competitiveness. Like the, 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 This is a really, really good unit. Uh, shout out Chuck Pagano. Stepping into Vic Fangio's shoes is difficult, and not only is it difficult, they you know he had to kind of reimagine the roster a little bit because of the way that they choose to get after the passer and how much they mm-hmm. blitz. Nailed out of the park with Jalen Johnson. Uh, uh, they got really good play out of him, better play in, in, in year one than I would have expected. Um, so Chuck so, Pagano, man. One, one and, co-host on this podcast really liked Jalen Johnson coming out of the draft. It's a, I don't have to say how that's relevant currently. Uh, well, we're talking about yeah. Jalen Johnson, so... Uh, and, I just don't understand the connection. No, it's, um, a, it's a draft podcast. It's called Lockdown NFL Draft. <laughs> Chuck Pagano is a name that I think might get head coach re retread interest mm, yep. uh, as we get into the cycle. And finally, uh, the the Bengals man who Jesse Bates. Yeah, Jesse Bates for the freaking nuts. Um, beat Tennessee. Tennessee cannot get a pass rush against the Bengals offensive line, which is extremely concerning if you're a Titans fan. Yeah. Hakeem Adenis, you got the start, played well. Quentin Spain got got, got uh, most of the game. He played well, so that offensive line looks a little bit better. They've really got a good wide receiver setup in T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and now Auden Tate, as they acknowledge that AJ boy is a shell of himself. Yeah, exactly. They got some big fellas in Higgins, Boyd, and Tate. Uh, Joe Burrow, 
those guys are, are open even if they're covered, and that lets Burrow get rid of the ball quickly. Got the running game working even without Joe Mixon. When that when he gets back, I think that's going to get even better. This offense is really, every week, this offense has the ability to put up a competitive score and keep the Bengals in the game. That's what they've been doing for so many games. They're 1-5-1 and one coming into this game. They had a, a one-score loss to the Colts, a one-score loss to the Browns. These are potential AFC playoff teams. One score loss, one score loss. They knew they were close. They get the Titans. They control that game yeah. pole to pole. Bengals are feisty. They are. No, that's it. That's a, that's a good word. I think the Bengals are feisty. That is good. Uh, there it is. That is the Monday NFL recap show. Let's uh, give you guys a little bit of a game plan the rest of the week because we are changing things up a little bit. Tomorrow, Tuesday's edition of the podcast, we're still recapping everything that happened in college football. We're still going to be doing that because I know you guys like that podcast. But Wednesday, we're switching it up. We are not devoting a whole day to Watchers Wednesday anymore. I'm going to try to mix that in kind of throughout the Monday episodes or throughout the week. We, we can get some of those film note points in there. But as this is a NFL Draft podcast, we are getting back to our roots. Wednesdays, every week, we're going to do a midweek mock draft. And since we are halfway through the season, I feel like this would be a great point to transition back to doing mock drafts every single week. So every Monday moving forward is going to be a midweek mock draft edition of the podcast where we will take the updated NFL draft order. Ben and I will go back and forth and do a, uh, well, I guess, you know, like we'll, we'll switch up the format. Sometimes we'll go back and forth doing picks. Sometimes we'll just do full dueling mock drafts where we're picking all 32 um, for each guys. But we wanted to make sure that we got mock drafts back in there because we know you guys love that. And it is, of course, a draft show. So we wanted to get more draft stuff in there. Thursdays, we're still picking games and previewing everything for the upcoming week. And then f- f- Fridays are staying the same with the Fan Friday podcast. We're very excited to bring mock drafts back. We got college football right before then. But until then, you guys keep it locked right here on Locked on NFL Draft.